This is the Village Church Q&A podcast, where our goal is to create digital, shareable, and helpful content to make disciples who will go, grow, and overcome. Welcome back to the Village Church Q&A podcast. Pastor Michael here with you, and in the studio this week will be, is presently our, my wife. <laughs> Lost my words there for a moment, but Brienne uh, Fueling, and uh, she is a professional counselor. What, what are the actual letters that go after your name? What, you tell me. LQPR35. <laughs> R2D2. R2D2. I'm going to ask you LCPZ. Uh, Licensed clinical professional counselor. Awesome. And uh, so she's going to be dropping some counseling knowledge on us. Very excited to have you here. And uh, so today we're going to be talking about sexual purity. And the question goes like this. I'm going to read it as it is written. The question is written like this. If a Christian expresses sexual intimacy with another outside of marriage, is that Christian forever held to be impure? What say you, Brianne? So I want to start by agreeing with one aspect of this question asker's thinking process. (laughs) (laughs) Very articulate. (laughs) And that is that sexual intimacy being expressed outside of marriage is a problem. And it is not the way that God created sexuality to be expressed. Yeah. So a a fair statement is that the world will say it's just sex. It's not a big deal. But for God, sexual purity is enormously important, and he has wired, we'll just say, the human condition in such a way that when this is not used um, in the confines of a biblical marriage, that it wreaks inevitable havoc in our souls. And so even to the point where the Apostle Paul um, in 1 Corinthians 7, is that correct, Brian? Six, same thing. Um, <laughs> not at all. But in First Corinthians six, he he he's talking about sexual immorality, and here's what he says: All other sins are outside of the body, mm-hmm. but he who sins sexually sins against his own body. Mm-hmm. It's almost as if he's saying it's so categorically, fundamentally different than all other kinds of sins. Mm-hmm. He would almost rather you lie, cheat, and steal than commits any kind of sexual immorality um, because it affects us profoundly in more deeply personal, spiritual ways than any other kind of sin. Mm-hmm. And yet, ironically, it's almost like Satan knows this and he's tricked the entire world into it's just sex. It's not that big of a deal. If it feels good, how bad could it be? And yet, I mean, you and I live in a world where the repercussions of sexual morality are huge and massive. And then if someone has the spirit of God in them, the spirit of God doubly convicts on this level. Right. It's a profound reality that you and I have to face. And 1 Peter 2.11 says, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. And that's exactly what you're talking about. Mm-hmm. These actions, in- engaging in sexual intimacy outside of marriage, it wages war in people's soul. Maybe mm-hmm. not immediately, but I work with so many people with that war is being waged 30, 20, 25 years later Mm -hmm. in their souls because God tells us very, very clearly that the marriage bed is to be held in honor among all and not to be defiled. Sometimes with sexual morality, you don't feel the results quickly, Mm -hmm. the negative results. Sometimes it actually is really connecting and, and feels like it's a positive thing. And yet this is the nature of sin. Sometimes um, sin deceives immediately. Sometimes it deceives inevitably. And um, we have to take God at his word and say, he's not playing around. He is really, really smart. He knows exactly what he's doing. 
And uh, hey, a little um, promo. Listen to our Song of Solomon sermon series that we're preaching because mm-hmm. I think it could help some people process accurately God's view of attraction and romance and sexuality and marriage and all that. Good stuff. And the weight of sexuality and the special intention that it was designed for. But yet in this context, when we see it and we have this person asking this question, am I going to be held forever impure? And that question just weighed on my heart heavy because this person claims the name of Christ. And one of the deepest things that I want for everyone who claims the name of Christ is to know that we are not held forever in any state. So some of us were liars. Some of us were murderers. Some of us were thieves. Some of us were all sorts of shenanigans that did not please God. And even in our Christian lives, because it looks in this question as though the person was doing this as they proclaim the name of Christ, Mm -hmm. there is an opportunity for redemption. And so, no, we are never held in any state forever. I mean, imagine, you know, you mess up sexually or otherwise, and you even have a concern that God is like, you know what, I'm kind of done with you. Mm -hmm. You know, you've lost your usefulness. Um, Purity is not an option for you. you. You know what, you've blown it. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying the person who's asking the question necessarily lives in that state, but there are a lot of Christians who do. Mm-hmm. And fundamentally, they don't understand what grace is and what it accomplishes and how God sees them in light of Jesus. Absolutely. And thankfully, that's the whole point of Jesus is that when we are in him, that we are a new creation. It says the old has passed away mm-hmm. and behold, the new has come. And mm-hmm. so we have every opportunity to be made pure. I think of like gold or different metals that need to be purified in a process. It's a process to be able to get them pure. They could get defiled. Someone could spit on them. Someone could shove all sorts of junk in them. But there's always a hope and it's always a process that they can go through again to be made pure and to become just as valuable as they were in the first place. And coming to Christ is starting that purification process. It doesn't finish it. Like you don't come to Jesus and all of a sudden all the sin is out of your life. Mm -hmm. But what you do come to Jesus is the immediate response is the way God views you and treats you, which is he treats you as pure. Mm -hmm. He treats you as holy. He does not see you in light of your sin, which is the complete craziness of being a a child of God Mm -hmm. is that he is aware of our sin and yet does not treat us out of our sin, Mm -hmm. which I love. It's I mean, imagine if God held every sin against you and had this like record of wrongs against you. Thankfully, they were all nailed to the cross. And his desire for us is to be pure, to be holy as he is holy. And he gives us that opportunity to be able to repent and to be able to cleanse ourselves from every defilement of our body and spirit and to be able to pursue God and live in the fear of him and no longer participate in those actions once we're repented of those. Mm -hmm. So, Brian, talk about a distinction that you make between – like if you lose your virginity, for example, yes. versus like, so how does somebody, let's say I am um, 15 years old, I lost my virginity, um, I'm, I'm repentant, I feel bad, I want to give this to my husband. What does that look like for me? How do I process that as a teenager who one day is going to get married? So virginity versus purity is kind of a concept between the physical and the spiritual realm. So virginity, that is a physical reality. And once that is given to someone, once that is lost, once that is maybe taken, that is something that can't necessarily be brought back. But there is a concept, I think, even in that physical realm of making decisions to use your body in a different way. And so once that is gone, in some ways it's gone. But then there's this whole other realm of reality, which is the spiritual reality, where purity is always an option. 
It's something that can be made new again and again. It's something that is to be cleansed and that God sees us as redeemed and makes mm-hmm. us redeemed. So I think in our experience working with Christians, very few Christians actually give their spouse their virginity. Mm-hmm. More and more, it is, I would say, becoming very rare mm-hmm. that Christian men and women are have any kind of self-control when it comes to their sexuality, particularly the ones who grew up Christian. And, and that's just a... Um, a blight on the Christian culture of young people right now. And I would just say everywhere actually, but in the Bible, the category of virgin, it was a very like, especially for women was a very thick, powerful category. They also did not deal with the things that we're dealing with today. It's a very different culture. People got married very young opportunities to be sexual with other people were extremely limited um, compared to what they are today. And so the biblical culture, the idea of a physical virgin was a symbol of their purity. And I think one of the things that the new covenant, the, the, the New Testament approach to things, if you will, is that nobody is pure. Mm-hmm. Everybody is physically defiled because of sin, whether it's sexual or otherwise. Mm-hmm. And so this ideal that my purity is connected to my virginity mm-hmm. is one of the greatest lies mm-hmm. because you can be a virgin and completely impure. And what I bring to my spouse Ideally, would be a physical virginity, but the ideal is not reality for the majority of people right mm-hmm. now, at least that we see. What I want to bring to my spouse is my spiritual and Absolutely. mental purity. And so, you know, if you're listening to this and you have this script and fairy tale in your head that your husband or your wife is going to be a virgin, well, you need to destroy that script. Mm-hmm. And if the Lord gives that to you, great. What you want. First and foremost is somebody who, as you begin dating them, is in a place of purity. That is the most important part. But if you have this high script and you find out they've been hypersexual before they met you, um, maybe before they came to Christ, and that's like a requirement for you, A, you're missing the whole point of the gospel. But B, that's just not going to be the reality for most people. And that is a sad thing for me to say. I hate that. I'm really hoping, Brianne, that your generation, my generation of parents— in the church somehow can address this issue differently and raise maybe a whole nother generation of kids who understand this this better. But mm-hmm. I can say right now, the, the current upper teens, 20s, it is so sad. And I think a big aspect of this is that we want to raise our children and we want to use our bodies to glorify God in our yep. bodies. And just as you said, that even if someone's physical virginity is even taken from them yep. in many situations, that that does not have a standing on their purity, purity. Yep. in the way that they stand before God. Yep. And to know that all of us, as you said, are all sinners, and that that's the thing that we have in common with each other, is that we are all sinners, we are all impure, and it is only through God and through Christ's blood on the cross that he makes us pure before God. Can I just throw in another caveat? Unfortunately, I don't know why people don't think about this, but in the world of, we'll just say the sexual world of non-married people, STDs are incredibly prevalent. And then you have things like um, people get pregnant and have babies. And so one of the realities is that there are some aspects of sin that you do carry with you, but you may have multiple STDs that are incurable from multiple sexual partners. And you got to figure out what marriage looks like in light of that. But you may have the residue of past sin in your body, but that does not mean before God, you are impure. And again, sometimes people are reminded in very powerful ways, maybe they become infertile. There's a number of options, but just because even some of the consequences stick with you does not equal impurity. Purity is something that Jesus offers. I would say yes, when you're saved, but over and over and over and over again, fresh starts, restarts are like part of just what he does. Absolutely. And he paid for that and he paid for that at a price. And that is precious for him to be able to offer that to us. 
should not be taken lightly by us by engaging in these behaviors over and over again, which, knowing that we have that what purity. The Christian culture today, the young Christian culture of sexuality does. Mm -hmm. They take advantage of grace. Often. And we need to raise that standard. Often. And to to value grace for what it is and to not treat it cheaply. Yep. And I've seen this lie of being held forever impure really do a lot of damage in people's lives, particularly in the Christian culture. I've seen this lie enact a cycle of shame that breeds residual lies that it's okay to continue in this behavior because you already have. So if I'm already impure, then might as well throw in the towel and just engage in this behavior as much as possible because I can. It's kind of a whatever mindset. And one of the things I wish that I could gift to people to understand is that sexual immorality isn't looked at by the Lord as a one-time, then done and deal. He, he doesn't look at it as our physical virginity. He does look at it as the spiritual realm of purity. And so immorality and that choice is a continual choice. And we are accountable for every opportunity that we take to be immoral. But on the flip side, so is purity. And purity is available at every opportunity that we take to make those decisions and to redeem those decisions and to be pure just as Christ is pure and to take that as our identity and to take that as our new reality as we are a new creation. Drop the mic tomorrow. We are going to come back, Brianne. Ready to do it another day? Yes. Okay, good. We're going to be talking about dementia. And the question is, are there any scriptures that speak to dementia? And is there a spiritual connection that gives them peace as the mind deteriorates? Mm -hmm. It's a really insightful question. And we will see you all tomorrow.